0: All right. As we continue through, again, this good news account, right—the gospel account, good news account of Jesus' life according to mark um, as we if, when we get to verse fourteen here, I'm going to read verse twelve and then on through. But we're going to have we have the first mention of King Herod, and um, we're told about him and about what he had done to John the Baptist and. Mark makes mention of this so that we might know what has happened to John the Baptist. Remember, he, he earlier, the earlier account that we have is when Jesus was in the wilderness, or before Jesus went into the wilderness, that John the Baptist revealed him. He prepared the way and declared Jesus Christ to be the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And, and so what happened to John after that? that time when Jesus encountered him at the Jordan River and how ultimately we get to know how his life was tragically taken at the hands of an evil and cowardly man. But the mention of Herod at this time, when we follow the context of when Mark makes this known to us, is also in light of the fact that we have just been told how Jesus had sent his disciples out into the cities in the villages in the region of Galilee. You remember, Jesus had been traveling with them, and now he said it's time for them, for, for his disciples to go out. And he sent them out two by two, and he told them specific instructions and what to do and where to stay and how to stay and what to take and all of these things. And, and they had this mission of healing those who were sick, of casting out demons and, and from those who were demon-possessed, but, but more importantly to preach a message of repentance. So you have an a, uh, um, evangelical, gospel-centered message with some humanitarian stuff attached even in Jesus' day, right? Healing those who were sick, casting out demons, but preaching the message of the gospel, a message of repentance. And so this next section, which puts the focus on Herod, Mark Forrest continues on with this theme of repentance and faith so that that this continuing message of repentance and faith is also evident in this historical account this acknowledgement of 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 King Herod and and ultimately we see that as King Herod's unrepentance and lack of faith is revealed in these verses when we are told that even this king had heard about Jesus at this time the things that Jesus was saying the miraculous things that he was doing But sadly, what we see is that Herod failed to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and ultimately he refused to repent of his wicked and evil ways, to confess his sin, and to turn away from what he knew was wrong, and then go a different direction in order to follow after Jesus Christ. And so, starting in verse 12, to give us a little bit of context, looking at Jesus' disciples here and. the previous things that we were told it says so then they or they went out and preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them now verse 14 King Herod heard of him Jesus for his name had become well known if you underline or highlight your Bible please do that in verse 14 for his name had become well known and he said John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Well, others said it's Elijah, and others said it is the prophet or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded, and he is raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. But John had said to Herod, "It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife." I love it that I, I really would like to meet John the Baptist when I get to heaven. This this crazy looking guy, right? You know, he's got a belt around a um, camel hair skin robe and unshaven, and he's eating honey and locusts, and he's living in the wilderness. But but we know that that people were coming to him as he was preaching and preparing the way. But but now now. for somehow he had an opportunity to go to Herod and to tell him the truth as well this mighty powerful man at this point in Israel a a favorite under the covering of the Roman Empire, as he had made this this unholy alliance with the Romans but but John wasn't afraid to tell the people in the wilderness about Christ and, and and to call them out on their sin and to repent and he was not he wasn't he wasn't afraid to do that so even with this powerful man who ultimately put him in prison for doing so. And I think he's a good testimony for us because sometimes we feel more comfortable than others in telling people about the gospel message or calling people out in regards to uh, ungodly behavior. And, and um, we need to realize that um, God will use us in the lives of all people if we're willing to be um, courageous and strong. And, and, and John was that. John had said, it says in verse 18, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man. Now that's a, another amazing statement. Herod, throughout this whole text, we're going to see that it's, he 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 did not enter into sin or did not continue into, in sin with just because he did not know. He Forsook what he knew to be true in order to pursue the lusts of his flesh and to and to to pacify the, um other people around him to be a man pleaser and and so john he said he feared John knowing that he was a just and holy man and that and so he protected him and when he heard him this is interesting verse twenty when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly and again this was after he had been put in prison then verse twenty one it says then an oppor- then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles and high officers and the chief men of Galilee and when Herodias's daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with the king he said to the girl ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you and he swore to her whatever you ask I will give you up to half of my kingdom and so she went out and said to her mother, "What shall I ask?" And she said, because remember she had she had beef with John here or with John, he said, "The head of John the Baptist." And immediately she came in with with haste to the king and asked saying, "I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter." And the king was exceedingly sorrow sorry yet because of the oath and because of of those who sat with him, all these these dignitaries and and people who he had made this promise in front of us says he did not want to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard of it, they came away and took his corpse and laid it in the tomb. And Father, thank you, God, for... Letting us know these events and for helping us, Lord, to see and understand um, the truths that are within them that apply to our lives, Lord. May we see the examples of the disciples and the example of Herod, Lord, and learn from them, um, Lord, and and how to follow you and and how to live our lives uh, like John the Baptist so that we could be just and righteous and holy people of God, too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think as we look at this, you know, we read the first two verses, 12 and 13, sets the context for what we go on. But I think verse 14 is an awesome verse. And that's why I wanted you to underline that, that, that passage of it. Because it points out the fact that, to me, what we're being told here by Mark, is that when the apostles were sent out to do the mighty works, right? Because Christ gave them, Jesus gave them the power to do these things. That then when they were sent out to do the mighty works, they made sure to glorify Jesus, and not themselves in everything that they did. That's what I think we're being told here. In other words, it was not the name of the apostles who were doing the mighty works at that time that had become well-known, right? It was the name of Jesus through them. And this is how it needs to be with us today. As we live for Jesus, and I think as we live as His servants, as we choose to obey His will and to allow for God to do mighty works in us and through us that his name would be glorified that when people look at our lives and see that we're different you know that we are saying it's because of Jesus it's because of Jesus this is who you need to know it's all about him and in one sense they were continuing on with the mission that John had been given to point the way to the, of the to point and prepare the way for the Messiah to point people to jesus and and the truth is is when we follow jesus and when we and and do what he commands us you know what we're we're changed and people notice when we live differently than the rest of the world people notice and we need to tell them the reason why so so since someone notices that we're different that we're living different and asks us what's going on with us the opportunity to tell them about jesus and to make his way well well-known is is always before us we have opportunity after opportunity you know that was talking about and i was listening to you say about all again all the heavy restrictions that were going on and you know i know one of the other things that if they they weren't shooting people they were beating them with the, the canes and knocking them off the 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 taxi motorcycles and stuff like that and and yeah, you guys were continuing to do secret church and and it, it saddens me when I think that so many churches in America, contrary to that, without that kind of opposition, were just willingly locking up their doors. You know, that's not what Christ has called us to. And as this world progresses towards an end and towards the Lord's return, there are gonna be more opportunities. Every single time, as the enemy wants to try to, to come against the work of God, to shut down what God is doing here. And it's going to come in the face of opposition. And if we're unwilling to stand up in that face of opposition, Christ will not be glorified. It's only when we stand up for what is the truth and to do what God's Word has told us to do, that God is glorified. And, and we point people to Jesus. And that's what Jesus' disciples should do. And in doing so, we should be sure to let let those who are who are asking know that that God who saved us and changed us wants to do the same thing for them if they'll let Him. If they repent of their sins and if they believe in Him, the same wonderful things that God has done for us and promises to us is for them. That's the other part of the message. It's just not, it's just not hey, you're a sinner and repent. Follow after Jesus. But there's a good life in Him. Life and life abundantly. And it isn't without difficulty. I agree with that 100%. There is going to be suffering for those who desire to live righteous lives in Christ. But my life in Christ is way better than it ever was before without Him. Hands down. And the bottom line is, is like the apostles, you and I who are also the sent servants of God, right? That's one of the the meanings of the word apostle. Those who are sent by God, sent servants of God. We need to be pointing people to Jesus. We need to be bringing Him the glory that He deserves and, and not upon ourselves. The apostle Peter, he wrote above this, I love this, he said, In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, he says, Above and above all things, have a fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. Here's the key without grumbling. (laughs) Do I have to have them over, God? (laughs) Hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, gift, as each one of us have received a gift. And have we not... All received gifts. Matter of fact, the Bible says, what do we have that we've not first been given? It's all His. It's all come from Him. Every good thing comes from the Father above. And so as each one of us has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak of the oracles of God. In other words, not according to our own wisdom. When people come to us and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Your life is different. Why is it different? What should I do here? Make sure that you're giving them this. Not the wisdom of the world or not even your own wisdom, but God's wisdom as of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, do it as, do it as with the ability which God supplies in that all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, and, and guys, we this is people don't notice, you know, our so I heard it said once that we 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 live our lives in the moment to moment. And and in the moments to moments we come across these every so often these big things in life, right? And and we think that it's the big things in life, the the hard circumstances that come in in between the the moment to moment to moment day of living that that people see and are amazed at at how we follow Christ. It's not in those big moments. It's in the day to day to day. It's 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 in do we do we cut someone off in the parking lot to get the 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 place at City Market? Is it is it do you return your cart to the to the cart return place? Is it? Is it, is it, are you friendly and, and have a smile when you're going about your day-to-day business? It's in these moment-to-moment things of life that people are looking at to see what we're really like. What we're really like. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So with the apostles having been sent out, right? The name of Jesus, this is what we're being told, the name of Jesus had been become had become well known. So much so that even Herod the king was now hearing about him. Now at this time, Herod, so you know, you guys probably know this, but he isn't the real king of Israel, right? In fact, he only ruled over a fourth of the nation of Israel at this time. And he had been been put into this position of authority by the Romans who were ruling over Israel at this time. So Herod, uh, at the at the very most, was a vassal king. And that, that title king was, there's a dispute over that, that Mark's probably even um, using this word sarcastically because it seems like Herod was fighting for this title of king and Rome wouldn't give it to him. And so Mark is kind of sarcastically mocking him, Herod the king. Anyway, he swore his allegiance to Rome and what history teaches us is that this deal for power that Herod had made had been given on the advice by um, two people in um, the Roman Senate that were working together at this time. We know later on in history that they wouldn't. But Mark Antony and Octavian actually um, were, were suggesting that this power be given to Herod. Proposed that to the Senate. And ultimately gave him this this title of overseer or uh, over this this part of uh, Israel. And Herod Antipas Antipas was his full name, and he was he was one of the sons of Herod the Great. Right, we hear about Herod; we think about Herod the Great. Um, there were many Herods, and when Herod the Great died, Rome divided his territory among his three sons. And Herod Antipas, who was mentioned, was given charge over the regions of we're told Perea and Galilee, and this is the region right now where. Jesus and his disciples were ministering at. And Herod Antipas had married the daughter of a Tibetan king, King the IV. But when he, di- when he divorced or he married here, as we're told, Herodias's, Herodias and that was the, the wife of his half-brother, Herod Philip. But this was contrary, of course, to the laws of Moses. It was an ungodly thing to do. And John the Baptist took to the streets and publicly denounced the king and his new wife Herodias for their sins. Needless to say, uh, Herodias, Herodias, she was not pleased with John the Baptist. And so here in verse 19, it tells us that she wanted to kill him, but she could not. That that Herod wouldn't relent at least to that. At least he had some kind of limit at that time. And, and he initially protected John from her. And we're told that Herod did this because he feared John the Baptist. He knew that John the Baptist was a man of God. He was a just man, a righteous man, a holy man of God. Which speaks to the fact that Herod knew that what he had done with Herodias was wrong. He knew. However, Herod's response to John's words of condemnation was to arrest John and put him in prison in order to silence him, but also perhaps to keep him safe from his murderous wife rather than doing what he knew was the right thing to do what was the alternative to 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 get rid of this woman to not be with her any longer but this plan his plan we see in this account from mark's gospel here is that his plan only worked for a little while and when herod was lured once again by the lust of his flesh and i've heard this spoken to in many different ways and there are many different commentaries but at the very least this was a a very seductive thing that was that was going on some people would even suggest that it was done she did this in the in the nude with no clothes on at all but you know there's no nothing to really support that biblically but we know that it was a very seductive thing uh, and and he was lured again once again this weak man by the lust of his flesh as he watched Herodias's daughter dance before him. And so he made her a promise to give her a gift of her request and this is what led John ultimately to losing his head. So when Salome, Herodias' daughter made a request known, verse 26 says that Herod was sorry. That's a key word. Sorry. Because of the oath that he had made. But again, we see that with that language there that that Herod would not turn away from doing what he knew was the wrong thing to do. He knew it was the wrong thing to do. He, in one aspect, didn't want to do it. He was regretting it. He was sorry that he had, he had gone to this place. But because cared cared more about his flesh, which at this moment wanted to please this girl who had danced seductively before him, according to verse 26, he also says that he cared also more about those who were around him, he cared more about what they thought. He cared more about pleasing this girl and what these dignitaries thought than he cared about doing the right thing. I think that says a lot, don't you? And this is this is this is evidence that Herod, in the midst of his unbelief, again, this is about, about repentance and 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 belief in Christ and in God's sent Son, the Savior, right? Herod, in the midst of his unbelief, he chose to be a man-pleaser rather than a God-pleaser. And this is, this is a huge factor in whether or not a person is a true follower of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that this morning. This is a huge factor in whether or not a person is a true follower of Jesus Christ because as servants of Jesus, Scripture teaches us that it's impossible to please God and man. And Herod's bad example, it is an example, it's a bad example, is a reminder, is a reminder for us that as servants of, uh, servants of Jesus, we must choose to put God first when, we, when, 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 we, when it comes to the, to the things we consider and seek to be pleasing to God in regards to what we do, in regards to what we say, and, and ultimately in regards to how we live our lives. And the Apostle Paul, he speaks of this he speaks about this in his letter to the Galatians, and he asks this. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or, or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, he says, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant seeks to please his master in all that he does and all that he says. In 1 Thessalonians, it also says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone, here's the reason why, He alone examines the motives of our heart. And then Jesus, with His own words, spoke this also in, in this way and said in Luke chapter 6, verse 13, No one can serve two masters, right? Why? Because he'll either hate one and love the other. Or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. And it should be no surprise to us today that Satan is actively working within the world and with our flesh in order to tempt us into being men-pleasers and, and to compromise in doing and saying what is, what is right so that, so that we're not pleasing to God. Think about even what's taken place in this world over the last two years and so many of the decisions and so many of the the manipulation tied around fear in in, in many different instances, in many different circumstances. And Satan only has a, 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 a few tricks up his sleeve. He's good with the tricks, but he's the king of discouragement. He's the father of fear. He's deceiver and he's a liar. And he's been that way from the beginning. But he uses these things in order to intervene into our world and, 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 and does so often in like in this instance where we, he gets us to compromise and doing what we know that God's called us to do or to say or how to live because of fear of what others may say or think. Especially in this world now where we live in this place where people are calling the good things of God evil. And what God says, evil, good. People are doing that. And then, and then when we don't go along with that as followers of Christ, they say things like, well, you just don't care. You're not loving. And, and then you, they place us in the spot of being, you know, uh, uh, uncaring and, and um, uh, really make us out to be a, an enemy uh, that has no righteous ground to stand on. And, and they, they, they try to manipulate the, the, us to change the way that we live our lives and who we live for because of fear. Calling us to compromise so that we're living in a way that's not pleasing to God. But any time the Bible addresses this issue, it makes it clear that there's, guys, there's no middle ground to stand on, right? There's not a, there's not a compromise that can be made from God's point of view. That's, that's okay in any sense at any time. And any time we seek to please man and ultimately compromise the will of God in order to try and find some middle ground to stand, it will always bring forth sorrow. It will always bring forth regret. Herod was sorrowful because he was in a place of compromise. And he knew where it was leading. And clearly this is the case as we're told that Herod was exceedingly sorrowful for what we did. And we see that at the very least he felt convicted, right? And even guilty, he felt convicted and even guilty about the right, the wrong thing that he chose to do. But he saw it as the easy way out. But even though he was exceedingly sorry or sorrowful for what he had done, listen, it was not enough. And Herod chose to serve the desires of his flesh, whether it was in pleasing this woman or not offending these men and that were there, these dignitaries, his pride, his reputation in that sense. And he had... John put to death. And so when Herod heard about Jesus, we see that it was a guilty conscience. And even this paranoid state of mind as a result of his sin that led him to think and declare that this Jesus was John the Baptist. Whom he had condemned to death and had come back from the dead to haunt him and condemn him. And in verse 16, it says, But when Herod heard and said, this is John whom I beheaded. He had been raised, he has been raised from the dead now again it 's obvious that his conscience was 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 kicking in at this time, right It was really bothering him, and I think we 've all been in that spot where we 've compromised, and we 've been sorrowful for. In one sense, for what we've done. Our sin has caught up with us. We've been, because of our compromise, we've been put in this situation where we regret where we are now at. And, and and our conscience is bothering us. And God will use the Holy Spirit to convict us. But here's the thing to notice is he was still unwilling to face his sin honestly, right? And repent. And when we're in that situation, we too are at a crossroads. How are we going to respond? And in this account, there are two things that really stand out to me, man. The first is in verse 20, where it tells us that when Herod looked there, when Herod heard John the Baptist, it says, he did many things and heard him gladly. In other words, what we're being told is that when Herod had John put in prison, he would go to John, he would hear what John had to say, and to some degree, he would listen and even do what John had told him to do. That's mind blowing. In light of this, I think the other thing that I find amazing is where we read six verses down in verse 26 where it says, And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Now I think, I would think that if Herod had been or was gladly hearing and doing many of the things that John the Baptist had said, could you imagine how, how those conversations went? Herod going down to the dungeon. John's locked in there. I mean, I can picture it in my mind. And having conversations with John. And, you know, John, I'm sure John didn't relent just because he was behind bars. You know, John was probably even more emboldened to tell Herod, you need to stop doing this and you need to do this. The kingdom of God is at hand. You're running out of time. You need to do something with these truths. And to a certain degree, it says, John would do, the, or Herod would do these things. He would gladly hear and do the things that John had said. And the last thing Herod would have done in light of all this, it blows my mind, is that he would then go and have John's head removed. After spending time with him, after hearing and gladly receiving, and even doing some of these things, John, who was riding this fence, so to speak, one foot in the world, one foot out of the world, as we so often like to talk about it, you know, it's it's it, it ultimately was not a safe place, but because Herod had John murdered, we see that even though Herod may have been exceedingly sorrow, sorrowful, here's the this really sad part is he remained unconverted. He, he remained unchanged in his heart, unchanged in his mind, unconverted in spite of all the time that he had spent listening to John as he, was willing to re- as he was unwilling to repent, he was unwilling to change his mind, to change the way he's living and to go a different direction. And I think that's a challenge to us today. Even as those who have, or have committed followers of Christ as servants of God to examine our lives and go, is there areas that, that I'm unwilling to repent Unwilling to change my mind, to come into line with what God says about things. Unwilling to change the way that we're living and go a different direction. And, and the reason why I ask that is because the truth is, is that same, this same hard-heartedness and um, we'll call it unrelenting spirit that we see in Herod here can be and is, not can be, it is in each one of us. And it's always rooted, here, here's the key, it's always rooted in unbelief, is it not? It's always rooted in unbelief. Now there's other things that go along with unbelief, pride and lust and, and, and so on and so forth, but unbelief, rooted in unbelief, and this was no different for Herod when we consider that John would have told Herod about the coming of the kingdom of God and about Jesus, the Son of God, who had been sent to take away the sins of the world, but Herod would not believe. Even when he had heard about Jesus, he's like, oh, this isn't the one that John was speaking about. It's John risen, and he's coming to get me. He was without excuse. Herod would not believe. Why? Because of his love for the things of this life. And, and that, that love for the things of this life is what prevented the words of truth that John spoke to Herod from from. from from taking root, penetrating and taking root in his heart. And it wasn't too many weeks ago that we went through the parable of the sower of the seed. And we see it being lived out here in Herod's life. We can see it being lived out to certain degrees in our lives as our heart can have these different conditions of the soil all at one time. Rocky heart, a hard heart. A heart that's full of thorns, you know, where other things are growing up alongside of it. And all that's rooted in unbelief and it automatically... It, it, it automatically brings forth this condition where God's word isn't taking root in our heart and we remain unchanged. And ultimately, Herod, he's, it's true, he cared more about what others thought of him, more about his, we'll say, party lifestyle, and more about his feelings towards that he had towards this girl than he, than he had um, about doing what he knew was right. He cared more about those things than he cared about doing what was right and we know when he and we know he knew what the right thing to do why because he felt sorrow he felt sorrow but i i in one way i see this is no different than any one of us it can be it's in it, it, it can be no different than any one of us who go to church right and we gladly hear the truths of God's word as it's being taught and then never surrender our lives to those truths or our heart to Jesus who will change them change our heart and typically this is done not not it's not exclusively this but as we're looking at Herod here I think it's true it's this typically done because we care more about what people think or more about our love for the things of this life and the things of this world than we do then we then we care about those more than than doing what is the right thing to do. But hear this: this unwillingness, as we see with Herod, this unwillingness to give up, to surrender to the Lord, to give up the desires a, a, a of this world, of our flesh, of of of, of the accolades of men, or the, the 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 acceptance of others in this world, you know, and to follow Jesus. It comes at a huge cost. That's the, that's the The end thing to see here, it comes at a cost every time. We think it's going to bring something into our lives that we want, but it's it's a lie, it's a deception from the enemy. It's not going to bring anything, it's going to take away, it's going to lead to sorrow and and to death. And Jesus clearly spoke about this in Matthew 16, remember when he said this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me, for whoever desires to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Well, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And the truth is, is that every one of us, we have at one time or another, in the future we can be to this place as well. We can be sorry about the things that we're doing or sorry about the 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 life choices that we're making, But but... Because we don't believe that God's way is better than ours, we refuse to repent. We refuse to to move away. We remain unwilling to change our mind and unwilling to go a different direction. In the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthians about this same kind of sorrow, guys, it says that it's a sorrow that doesn't lead to repentance. He said in 2 Corinthians, speaking to the church there, chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, he says, he's writing this letter to them, and he says, even if... I caused you sorrow by my letter. I do not regret it. Because he's speaking the truth. But he says, he says there is a regret that I have because I see, he says, I see that it, my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. You know, it's this idea of faithful are the wounds of a friend. He says, yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to the place of repentance where they had a change of heart and a change of mind, and they were willing to go a different direction. He says, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings forth death. And of course, we see that was the type of sorrow that Herod had and the type of sorrow that we can also experience, this regret, you know, but not to the place of repentance. And, and so being sorry once we've been convicted of our sin, once God has come and spoken to us, whether it's through another believer in the, in the Lord who's come alongside us or, or God speaking to us through His Word directly, however it comes, but once we've been convicted of our sin and continue to remain in the place where we're unwilling to submit to God and do what we know is right will ultimately take us to the place of suffering. That's the end of that path. That's the end of that road. Suffering. And by all indications, Herod, here from this account, and when we look at all the other gospel messages as, as a collective here, um, Herod, Herod put himself on this path that leads to suffering. And ultimately, death by, this is sad, exchanging his eternal soul for the temple things of this world. How many people do we know that are in that place today? We all do. And, and it's our job to go and make Jesus' name known to them. Because the message they need to hear in the place that they're at is they don't have to continue on this path that leads to sorrow and death. That they, there's a new life for them. That God wants to forgive them. That He's paid the debt. He's made the way. And when we look at Herod Antipas in, in Scripture, he's only mentioned one other times in the Gospels. Only one other time, and it's in Luke chapter 23. Mark won't mention him ever again. Luke mentions him at the end of, Je- of Jesus' life, and we know it was after Jesus had been arrested by the Jewish guard, turned over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, to be tried. We know that Pilate did not want to try Jesus because he knew... He knew that Jesus was an innocent man. He did not want to condemn an innocent man. So when he realized that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, technically speaking, right, he he, he meant to send the problem away. He sent Jesus to Herod. And in Luke chapter 23, verses 8 through 12, it says Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had a desire for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he had hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words. But here was Jesus' response. It says he answered him nothing. Man, what a testimony. Herod had got himself to the place and progressed to the point that when he had the God in the flesh before him, that God would not answer him anything. And the chief priests and the scribes stood vehemently and accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate that very day. And that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with one another for previously they had been enemies With each other, Herod was glad to see Jesus because he had hoped that he would perform a miracle. See, do a trick for me. He had no desire to know Jesus. He had no desire to follow after him. He had made up his mind here. It was set in stone here. And so Jesus would not even speak to this prideful man who would not repent of his adultery and of his murder, let alone please him by doing a miracle. And history tells us that the end of Herod's life, 39 A.D., Herod Agrippa, the nephew of Herod Antipas, he betrayed his uncle, denounced him to the Roman Empire, and and Herod Antipas was removed and sent into exile. And I bring that up to point out the end of this all. In a moment, everything changed in one moment in that moment everything that herod had exchanged his soul for was lost gone and when we think about that that may not happen for people here this side of eternity but we know when this life is over it's going to happen apart from faith in jesus christ that in the in a moment that everything that a person has exchanged their soul for will be lost For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The worship team wants to come up. I want to leave us with this admonition. The Apostle John writing to the early church. I know this is a familiar passage of Scripture. Many of us probably have it memorized. And as I read it, you can probably hear the words being spoken in your head, in your mind. But in light of what we've been through, in light of where we are, in light of where we're going, knowing who's coming, let these words please take a new fresh meaning in your life today. For John says, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And guys, the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But for those of us who do the will of God, we abide forever. Father, thank you, God, for this truth and this reminder that 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 for us, when this life is over, in a moment, Lord. We will gain everything. That this world will be left behind and we'll have life and life more abundantly. We'll be in a place, Father, where there is no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, joy forevermore in your presence for all eternity. And Lord, we look forward to that day. And Father, when we are confronted with the compromises that this life wants us to enter into, may we take the long view. And look to eternity and to the promises that you've given us. And by faith, Father, turn away from the things of this life and from these compromises, Lord, where, where this world is wanting us to forsake what is true and good and noble and praiseworthy. Lord, that they want us to forsake following after you, to just get along or to make these compromises, Lord. Or where we do that, where we make these deals with our flesh or the, these deals with the one who tempts us, Lord. And may we today be strengthened and courageous like John the Baptist, Lord, to to um, always choose and do the right thing. Father, we can't do it on our own, Lord. We're helpless without you. We confess that. We know that. So through your spirit and by your spirit, Lord, in our weakness will you make us strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.